Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our September product event, where you'll hear from Josh Dean. Josh is currently the Director of Product at Homey. Do you ever feel like product success is elusive? Maybe even unattainable? After all, having to juggle business objectives, customer user needs, stakeholder requirements, and complex business processes often feels considerably daunting. Come learn ways to overcome common product development stumbling blocks and other methods for celebrating incremental success. A big thanks to Lucid for hosting this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX, product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find more information about Product Hive at ProductHive.org. So now, let's hear Josh Dean's talk, corralling the chaos that curtails product success. So, Homie, um, I'm sure you've seen our billboards. A lot of people are aware of us, but don't fully understand what it is we do. We're a one-stop shop for buying and selling homes. Um, we offer full-service real estate agent help, as well as uh, loan officers, title and escrow agents. Essentially, we help you from the beginning to the end in either buying or selling your home. Um, I joined Homey for, uh, almost four years ago now, and at the time there were seven of us. And so there are a few things I want to share today that, that we've learned as we've grown the company to almost 200 people. I've discovered in the last four years that there are three main stumbling blocks um, that kind of cause the chaos and prevent product success, and I want to address those. First of all, delivering futility. So I think it's safe to say that most important to all of us is we want to build something that people actually use, something that provides value, um, something that improves people's lives, and I think we've also all at some point in our lives delivered a feature or an MVP or a full product that nobody used or found valuable. Um, myself included, before joining Homey, I co-founded a startup that was very similar to Homey. Um, it was a service that helped home builders manage their inventory. So a friend of mine and I built this. We spent a year of our weekends and, and evenings working on it, um, we got connected with a few home builders. We met with the president of one of the larger home builders here in the state. And as we were presenting this software product to him, he interrupts us and he pulls out his phone, which I believe was an iPhone, is some type of smartphone. And he says, I only know how to do one thing on this. It's receive a phone call. I don't even know how to make a phone call on this. And me and my friend looked at each other and we're just like, Oh my gosh, we just spent a year building a software product for someone who can't, it's impossible for him to see the value. So I vowed that I would never do that again. Of course, there are principles in Lean Startup that I have made foundational to how I do things since that time. One of the solutions to avoid delivering futility is establishing empowered product teams. Now. There are many things that we need to do, but this to me is core uh, to avoiding that. Let's talk about what uh, empowered product teams are. A friend of mine, Maria Trujillo, who's at Pluralsight, I don't know if she's here, she sent me this article 
a few weeks ago. I, I know Matt Kern also posted it in the um, Product Hive Slack channel uh, last month. But I wanted to highlight a few things that Kagan, uh, who wrote it, talks about and, and how to build uh, the types of teams that, that produce things that are actually valuable in people's lives. So Kagan explains there are three types of product teams. There are delivery teams, there are feature teams, and there are empowered teams. And we're going to look at all three of those. Delivery teams. They're not cross-functional in the sense of having a PM, a UX designer, and, and engineers. Really, they don't even have a product manager. It's, they really just have a project manager or a backlog admin, and of course, developers to, to support. Feature teams, there's a step toward the right direction. They are cross-functional with a product manager, a designer, and developers. But in both cases, these teams are focused on output and not outcome. So they're just focused on delivering and what they deliver isn't measured. They are commanded and controlled by organizational leaders. They're told what to do. I'm sure we've all worked in organizations or situations that are similar to this. And they serve the business. They do not serve the customer. Of course, we don't want to work in on teams like this. So Kagan says that great teams are comprised of ordinary people that are empowered and inspired. So, the qualities of an empowered product team, they're cross-functional, of course. They're focused on and measured by outcome. They serve customers in ways that meet the needs of the business. So the customer comes first, supporting the business needs. And they're empowered to come up with solutions that work. If I can use kind of Homie's evolution of this to illustrate. As I said, when I started, there were just a handful of us. Mike, our, one of our co-founders, Matt, who's now our lead UX designer, a couple front-end engineers, a back-end engineer, a mobile engineer, and myself. I did front-end web, UX. We were just focused on shipping things. We needed to create a homey platform. Um, we were trying to raise money. We just needed to make it viable in, in some way so that we could continue working on it and, and have paychecks, have money coming in make it possible for this to actually be a full-time job, right? We started hiring more, and we created two feature teams, um, each with a product manager, each with a UX designer. They had UI developers, API developers, and mobile developers. But focus primarily was on features. So shipping features, getting things out the door, things like that. Each team focused on a different segment of the buying and selling processes. And that's what they focus on, just getting things out the door. We've recently made a lot of new hires and are attempting to move into the direction of empowered product teams. We have six teams right now, of course, all cross-functional. Evaluating where we are, as I said, we're cross-functional. We're focused on outcome in the sense that each of our teams on their own have established or are establishing their own goals and that support the company objectives. Um, measured by outcome, you know, we haven't done an amazing job at this, but are, are, have made plans to improve. Serve customer in ways that meet the needs of the business. That's, the jury's still out there. We're, we feel like we're on the right path. But we absolutely have been empowered to come up with solutions that work. So, ever since I started at Homey, um, the co-founders have trusted us to discover what it is 
that our customers need and attempt to deliver that to them. I kind of asked myself, well, why is it that they, that they trust us? Um, because as I said before, I've worked in organizations before where that trust wasn't there. Um, I'm sure you have too. And so I wanted to kind of provide some insight into how it is that we establish that trust with the co-founders and the executive team. Before that, let me just mention that empowering the teams, um, part of that is allowing each of those teams, the product manager, UX designer, and the engineers together to determine what agile methodology they feel will, will be the best to support them in, in their objectives, um, determine how they're going to measure productivity and success, determine their own planning cycle, and then establish their own objective and key results, and we'll talk more about that later. So I asked one of our co-founders, Mike Peregrina, who's our CFO, why do you trust us to come up with solutions that work? And these are the answers that I got. He said, you guys are experts in what you do, product engineering, you're experts in what you do, you're driven by data, and it's clear that you've bought into Homie's vision and mission. Um, and the remaining two um, obstacles that we're going to talk about, the solutions help support in that and, and will establish the trust um, between you and stakeholders. So the second obstacle, perplexing processes. There's a lot, there are a lot of complicated processes we have to understand and manage in, in our work, right? So between product processes, engineering processes, more importantly though, the, the things, the cycles that our customers go through, we need to understand that, whether it's internal customers or external customers. If you look at the real estate industry, the traditional process, if you wanna buy a home, you search for homes online, you try to find a realtor so that they can get you into the home because you can't do it on your own, uh, you make a decision on which home you wanna buy, you work with the agent, the agent has to write you an offer, you submit it to the seller, the listing agent receives it, they, they present it to, the, to their client, and then the, the negotiation back and forth happens, you go under contract, you have to meet the earnest money deadline, if the home was built before 1978, there has to be a lead-based paint disclosure, the seller disclosures have to be provided to the buyer before the seller disclosure deadline. Like, your head just kind of starts spinning, it, it kind of starts feeling like this, Let's see some hustle. Coach, we don't have whack bat where I'm from. What are the rules? There's no whack bat on the other side of the river? No, we mostly just uh, run grass sprints or play a Hmm. Well, it's real simple. Basically, there's three grabbers, three taggers, five point runners, and the player at whack bat. Center tagger likes a pine cone, chucks it over the basket, and the whack batter tries to hit the cedar stick off the cross rock. Then the twig runners dash back and forth until the pine cone burns out and the umpire calls hot box. Finally, at the end, you count up however many score downs it adds up to and divide that by nine. Got it. Go. So, one, one of our attorneys at Homey, um, I was talking to him and he, he made this comparison. And I love this movie, so I thought I'd show it. But it really does start to feel like that. It's like, oh, it's, it's simple, really. Yeah, it's, it's not. At Homey, that's, that's what we're trying to solve, right? Like, there's the, the real estate process, buying and selling homes, the segmentation, the, the walls between title company and the mortgage company and the real estate brokerage and the agents, it's super confusing, it's difficult trying to understand and have visibility into the entire process for people, just everyday people, 
who aren't experts in buying and selling homes, it's impossible. It's just very difficult. So that's at Homey what, what we're trying to do. We're trying to make turn black fat into something easier. What's the solution to uh, these comp understanding these complicated processes? It's domain knowledge and customer expertise. So if you notice, I'm not saying domain expertise. Like, it's going to be virtually impossible for each of us to become experts in the industry that we're working, right? So I'm talking, as an example, Homey, um, to expect that everyone on the product and engineering teams become real estate experts is unreasonable and it's just, it's just not gonna happen, right? In addition to that, being an expert in the industry can actually be a problem. Myself, I, I, I'm a good example of this because I worked in real estate as a real estate agent. I still have my license. Um, I did that for several years full time before the market crashed in 2007. And I've kept my license for a few years after that, did transactions on the side. But oftentimes it kind of causes problems because I will fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I'm our target customer. Like, I, I understand how this goes. People never want to see that when they are shown the home or sellers never care about this. And my, half the people in this audience are people at home, so they, they are very familiar with this. I say stuff like this all the time and hopefully they call me on my BS when they need to, but it, it's, a, it's a problem, right? So um, what's more important is you obtain the domain knowledge that you need to do your job and have access to those who are domain experts. So at Homey, we have a team of real estate agents, people who specialize in writing offers, um, touring homes, um, negotiation, uh, evaluation of homes, all those things. And so we have direct, direct access to them and talk with them on a regular basis and try and understand from their perspective um, those different concepts. Having the domain knowledge is important. But where your expertise needs to come in is with the customer. So is it Malcolm Gladwell that talks about you, know, you need to put 10,000 hours into something before you can be considered an expert? I think if you did that, did something at eight to five, I think it would take like four years um, to obtain that. But I, I do believe that in each of our responsibilities, we can gain a lot of the expertise that's needed to understand our customers. So it's more important to focus on obtaining that expertise with the customer than it is in the industry. Both are important, of course. And Kagan, in that article we talked about a few minutes ago, the Empowered Product Teams, um, he says that it's our responsibility to serve the customer in ways that meet the needs of the business. So that's that parallels this, right? The focus is on the customer, the business is secondary, and of course is getting satisfied as well. So, obtaining domain knowledge. Of course, I'm sure you're all familiar with shadowing experts and things like that. We try and spend as much time as we can doing that, asking questions, watching people use our internal tools, watching people use other real estate tools in the industry that they need to use. One of Homie's co-founders encouraged the entire organization to listen to this episode of a podcast. So it's uh, the Masters of Scale podcast. The episode is titled Handcrafted. It's the first episode in the series. Um, Reed Hoffman, who's the co-founder of LinkedIn, it's his podcast. I highly recommend you take the time 
to listen to this. I found it very inspiring. I ended up listening to it four times. It's only like 25, 30 minutes, but there's a lot in there that's very helpful in terms of understanding how to spend your time to gain the domain knowledge, but more importantly, become an expert of your customer. And I would like to play a clip from this. It's quite long, it's a three minute clip, but I figured nobody's, if, if anybody's gonna say this the right way, it's gonna be this, the co-founder of a $47 billion company. So he's gonna say it a lot better than me. Over the last 20 years, I've worked on or invested in many companies that scale to 100 million users or more. But here's the thing, you don't start with 100 million users, you start with a few. So stop thinking big and start thinking small. Hand serve your customers, win them over one by one. Now this may sound like odd advice if you're an entrepreneur with global ambitions. Mark Zuckerberg didn't personally invite 1.8 billion people to Facebook. He built a great product and the users just poured in, right? Not exactly. On this show, I'll dispel that myth by talking to founders who fought to win their users. I'm starting with Brian Chesky, CEO of Airbnb, because he epitomizes the idea of handcrafting the user experience before you start to scale. It's a principle he first absorbed in design school. I was doing medical design once. I designed a children's ventilator. I had to sit in the shoes of the child. And so I had to like imagine being a child, get in like the operating table and like, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the patient or the person using your product. And if you're only doing AV tests, like you're never designing with empathy. But a funny thing happened to Brian when he moved to Silicon Valley. He sort of forgot about designing with empathy for a single user. It's a common mistake amongst entrepreneurs with global ambitions. They have to promise investors the world, tens of millions of customers, billions in revenue. It's intoxicating. Just listen to Brian go. This is a travel industry that is something like 7% of global GDP. It's somewhere between five and seven trillion dollars. 10 times the market size of Google. And Brian might have stayed in the stratosphere, if not for a fateful meeting with Paul Graham, co-founder of Y Combinator. Y Combinator is a startup incubator which cultivates and invests in early stage companies. Brian was admitted to Y Combinator in 2009, and his first meeting with Paul was confounding. Paul tends to stump people with deceptively simple questions. And he asked us, where's your business? And I go, what do you mean? Like, where's your traction? I go, well, we don't have a lot of traction. He goes, well, people must be using it. I said, there's a few people in New York using it. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, so your users are in New York and you're still in Malibu. I said, yeah. He said, what are you still doing here? And I go, what do you mean? He said, go to your users, get to know them, get your customers one by one. And I said, but that won't scale. We're huge millions of customers. We can't meet every customer. And he said, that's exactly why you should do it now. Because this is the only time you'll ever be small enough that you can meet all your customers, get to know them, and make something directly for them. Brian and his co-founders followed his advice to the letter. We literally commuted to New York from Malibu. So we would be in Wycom Air for uh, was it two night dinners. And then Wednesday, Joe and I would go to New York. We literally would knock on the doors of all of our hosts. And we had their addresses. We'd say, knock, knock, hello, hey, this is Brian, Joe, we're founders, we just want to meet you. So if you work for a medium to large size organization, maybe this seems unrealistic to talk to individual customers, cater the experience to them, but of course it's what's required. And if you consider each feature or small product uh, or MVP as kind of a startup itself, then this becomes kind of more manageable.
At Homey, recently, um, one of our product managers and UX designers spent a considerable amount of time trying to begin understanding what the best experience is for making an offer to buy a home. Of course, at Homey, we balance online experience with concierge services from our real estate agents, and they wanted to go about figuring out, do we have the right balance? Um, should it be heavier on one side? Are we doing too much? Are we doing too little? Like, what is the what should the online click-through experience be for inputting fields into offers and things like that? They did exactly what Brian Chesky recommended, right? They went to individual customers. They went into our internal, internal tool system to look up customers who were at the exact stage of the process that they needed to, so people who were touring homes and things like that. They went on tours with actual buyers. They talked to these customers in person. They, they interviewed people over the phone. They interviewed our internal agents who represent our buyers and transactions. Uh, they even texted customers to try and get their involvement in different studies and things like that. Um, I think they even determined the absolute best time to text someone if you want a response. Thursday at 4.30 p.m., you will get a response. So just FYI. So they did um, remote, unmoderated usability tests. They watched full story sessions, a uh, large number of them. If you guys aren't familiar with the product full story, look into it. It's absolutely essential in how we do our job today. But they, they, I mean, they put a lot of time into this, right? So what Chesky says is it's really hard to get even 10 people to love anything, but it's not hard if you spend a ton of time with them. If I want to make something amazing, I just spend time with you. And, and that's what they did. And that's what we are going to continue to try doing as we grow. I realize for a lot of people, it may be difficult in organizations to get the buy-off from stakeholders and executives to spend the amount of time that's required to do this. That's usually a sign that the organization is kind of stuck in the delivery or feature team type mode. And I think the most important thing to do there is help people, help those stakeholders understand what value comes from establishing powered product teams and helping do, doing whatever you can to establish that trust with those executives. At different points in my career, I've, I've had to do this where it's been very clear that the trust isn't there. One thing that I found effective with some people, and this is a very small thing and very practical and specific, but when I've recognized that the trust isn't there, I will ask the person, just give me the rope to hang myself with, but I'm not going to. Give me, give me the power to fail and the room to fail, but I'm not gonna fail. You can promise them that with confidence because at the, at the end of the day, what you're going to get is learning. And there's never failure in that. Like, at the very least, you can come back to them and be like, oh, well, we discovered that in, in our case, which this is not a case, but just a contrived example, we discovered the way we uh, allow our buyers to create offers on our system is completely wrong, and all the time we spent to make it was kind of a waste, aside from the fact that we learned that it wasn't what they wanted. And, we're, and we learned that by watching them use it. So at the very least, you can, you can help them understand that learning is valuable in and of itself. The third obstacle, differing directions. We all know how difficult it is to get an entire organization on the same page, going for the same goals, working together, 
ensuring you have the, you all have every department has the same value system, coordinating with different team members, ensuring that product and engineering are working together. It, it really starts feeling again like the whack bat situation, right? Where it's just like, oh, it's it's easy to get everyone on the same page. It's, it's really not. It's, it's quite difficult. Of course, collaboration is one of the solutions to ensuring that the entire organization and product and engineering are headed in the right direction together, that you all have the same goals, that your um, value system is the same, that you all understand what, what things you need to do to achieve success. In addition to, and we'll talk about what collaboration means, at least how we've attempted to do that at home, what we found to be successful. In addition to that is establishing OKRs, objective and key results. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute as well. So, uh, General Patton once said, don't tell people how to do things, tell them what you need done and let them surprise you with their results. I think I, I've been caught in the trap of this thinking as well to think that, oh, our organization, our team, our department, we, we have, we give them the freedom to do what they need to do. They, they have the liberty to figure it out and fail or succeed or whatever it may be. But it's, you know, in many cases, that was never, it just wasn't the case. I've learned the longer I, the longer I do this, the more value I see in coming from different parts of the organization and the department, from engineers and how, how everyone can kind of um, be a part of contributing to success. And of course, this relates to empower product teams. One of the things we've done at Homey, every quarter, the um, company establishes usually one to three high-level goals that we as a company want to get behind and support. When that happens, once those goals have been established, we will get our, so we have a technology department in which we have a product team and an engineering team and IT support, and we actually get all these people together we jumble them all up into you know six different groups and put everyone into a, put each group into a separate room, give them the three objectives, and say, okay, let's brainstorm ideas that the company can do to achieve these goals. And it's not just things that we can build on the platform and in the mobile apps. Um, it's not just technical. You know, people have had ideas for marketing that that have happened customer support type stuff, just company-wide ideas. And I was surprised the first time we did this, the people, at least in my group, the group I was brainstorming with, the people who spoke up the most were the ones that are always quiet. And I was kind of shocked by that, but it just helped me realize the importance of doing this. I mean, there are lots of different ways you can brainstorm. This is just one way you don't necessarily have to get into a room, right? We also have a Trello board where people can just go in and just add ideas, whatever ideas they want for discussion later, right? There are lots of different ways you can do this. This is one way we found actually getting people together in a room, basically forcing them to say like, okay, here are three objectives. What do you guys think? What can we do? What features can we build? And it's been great. Our product managers and UX designers also meet with the manager of each of our operational and marketing teams on a regular basis. So for some teams that's weekly, for some teams that's bi-weekly, but we've seen great value in this in we create these kind of living documents with, with those teams 
and they have access to them, they can edit them, they can update the priority of, of things, we can change the status so that we can inform them where you know the things that they have asked for are. And this isn't, we try to not make it a task list. Of course, we use this as a way to help those teams understand whether or not what they're asking for supports the company objectives. So of course, these team managers know what the company goals are for the quarter, and this helps us uh, kind of point the team in the right direction and we collaborate, work together, and ensure that what's important to them is important to us and vice versa. Another thing that we've established, this is something that our lead UX designer, it was his idea a few months ago. So as you saw before, each of our cross-functional teams, product manager, UX designer, and a handful of engineers. In this case, this team was working on an epic. So if you're familiar in agile, methodology and epic just being a chunk of work or a chunk of stories to, with, the, with a common goal. In this case, the goal was to um, give our buyers the ability to share their favorite listings with a co-buyer. Pretty straightforward feature. It was something that had been expressed by our customers. This was something they wanted and we knew that we could see the value in it. So the people who were working on it, Ethan was our UI developer. Kende was our Android developer, Dennis, our iOS engineer, and I was acting as product manager, and Matt was our UX designer. We work in an organization with no QA. It's the responsibility of each engineer to write their automated tests, to perform their manual tests, and once they've built the feature and done those things, they will demo the feature that they've built to the team to ensure that it's working as expected and meets requirements and everything. So in this case, um, Ethan, who was the UI developer, we saw an opportunity, we asked him to be the Epic owner for shared favorites. And what ended up happening was he ended up attending all the demo sessions for all the other engineers when they were demoing the features to product. And he was able to provide context when the mobile engineers maybe built something a little bit wrong or, or didn't meet the requirements, Ethan was able to provide context that I just couldn't provide. I mean, they got into a technical discussion about API endpoints and which exact one they were supposed to be hitting. And if he wasn't there to provide that context, it would have turned into like a big runaround. Like maybe Kende would have just gone about trying to figure it out himself and wasted a day doing it when he, when he could have just you know talked to Ethan. In this case, Ethan knew exactly what he needed to do because he ran into the exact same problem. We've seen a lot of value in that and we continue to do that. It can be any of the engineers that can act as Epic owner. This also helps promote the idea that, so I, I refuse to use the title of product owner in our organization because to me, I feel like everyone on the, on the cross-functional team should feel like they have ownership over a feature or an effort or a part of the product. And this helps promote that idea that you know the engineers themselves need to feel like they actually own it, that they are contributing to it, that they're contributing to the success of our company in tangible ways. And we've seen that as, as we've empowered them in, in those ways, they brighten up, right? And they start to contribute and speak up. They speak their mind. They come up with new ideas that, that we haven't had, hadn't had before. And it's been really helpful. So let's talk about OKR. So an OKR is an objective with key results. So I'm sure your organization has done some form of this, but 
An objective should be short, inspirational, and challenging. It should have two to five key results. Key results should not be a task list, and if, it, if the key result doesn't have a number, then it's not a key result. So let's look at some examples. So at Home Meet, and this, this is contrived, like this isn't an established objective and key result that, that you know, company-wide we're working on. This is just something that I came up with as an example. But the problem is real. Um, we've, from MPS surveys, feedback from customers, interviews, the feedback we get from our age, internal agents who perform the showings for people, um, the feedback we've gotten is that when, in many cases, when the homey buyer goes on a tour, so they go to see a home in person, it's been a confusing experience. The messages, messaging is confusing. They're not sure if an agent is gonna be there to help them or not. Um, they don't know how to get into the home. Um, it's just, it was just kind of a bad experience. So that resulted in a lot of our buyers doing one tour or one round of tours and then just dropping off and not using us again. So for a company goal of increased buyer transactions, the objective to fix this problem, improve retention of homey buyers who request to tour a home. So that's the objective. It's clear, it's short, hopefully it's inspirational. And then the paired key results for this, just as examples, have a homey agent accompany our buyers on 100% of tours scheduled through the platform. So this is, these would be, in our case, Q4 effort, right? So in a specific, these need to be paired with a specific amount of time. So have a homey agent accompany our buyers on 100% of tours scheduled through the platform. 100%, I mean, the key results need to be ambitious, but reachable, and that seems interjecting a homey agent and ensuring that they're there communicating with the buyer, we knew that that was something that we could do. Number two, consistently display 80% of all scheduled and completed tours on the buyer's tours page in the platform. So one of the problems we've had there is we'll have buyers go to the homey, homey platform, request, use the system to request to see a specific home. At that time, a homey agent is assigned to them. The homey agent reaches out to them over phone or text and says, okay, I'll be there at this time. And then once they meet them at the home, the buyer at that time now has someone that they can contact and text and call and say, hey, I want to see one, two, three Maple Drive. And then the agent just goes ahead and schedules it. The problem with that is we lose the data, right? That information's not in our system. It's not serviced up to the customer when they log into their mobile apps or the website. So visibility there, if the tour gets rescheduled or canceled, they can't go into the platform and see that. They have to have the communication directly with the, with the agent. So in this case, the goal could be we want to display 80% of all scheduled and completed tours on the platform, which would require some manual work on the part of the agents. They'd have to go into our system and say, okay, they, the buyer texted me, said they want to see 123 Maple Drive tomorrow at 3 p.m. I'm going to put that into the, into the system so that if they log in, I need to change status, they can see that. The third one increased by 25% the number of homey buyers who request a second tour or round of tours. So that's directly correlated with the objective. So, in summary, um, Empower Product Teams, if you guys get anything out of this, I hope you guys would go take the time to read that article by Marty Kagan. Of course, there's a lot of information in there, a lot of steps that you need to take to establish those types of teams, a lot more than I can share. Ensuring that you have domain knowledge and become an expert of the customer, and collaborating with the company to ensure that you're on the right page and establishing those OKRs, and with the OKRs, I highly recommend that you establish those with each individual cross-functional team and give them the power 
to do that on their own to to you tell them the company goals are these you guys come up with your own OKRs we're attempting to do that now and I hope that results in success for us that's it thank you very much a big thanks to Josh Dean for presenting and again to lucid for hosting the event if you learned some things from Josh's talk be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events. Thank you.